Okay, so you're here for some great church leadership content. The podcast is great, but there's also another piece of content you need to be enjoying each week. It is the Leading Saints email newsletter. Now I get it. Email newsletters feel so 2006, you know, but it isn't as old fashioned as you might think. It's actually one of the most popular pieces of content that Leading Saints produces. Each week, I share a unique leadership thought that can only be found in the newsletter. I keep it short and sweet. Most can read it in less than five minutes. And then we share with you recent content you might have missed, throwback episodes, and Leading Saints events that happen more often than you might anticipate. If you want to make sure you are on the email list, simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. That will also get you 14 days access to our full library of content not available to the general public. So look for Leading Saints in your inbox by going to leading saints.org slash 14 or click the link in the show notes. The following episode is a throwback episode, one that was published previously and was extremely popular. To see the details of when this was originally published, see the show notes. Enjoy this throwback episode. Everyone, welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. This is Kurt Frankum, your host. And can you imagine finding this podcast for the first time? And this is your first episode that you're listening to and that I never explain what Leading Saints is. So I'm going to do that now. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And one of the main ways we do that is through this podcast, the Leading Saints podcast, which you should subscribe to, leave a review, you know, all those things that podcasters ask you to do, you should do that. And we also have a website, leadingsaints.org, great articles on there. And we also have a weekly newsletter that you can sign up that I've probably talked about at the beginning of this episode. And uh, we do events, live events, virtual events. That's what Leading Saints is. And you found this episode. We're grateful that you're here. And we have a remarkable conversation to share with you today. I talk with Jody Moore. Jody Moore is a life coach based out of Spokane, Washington. She is a phenomenal, just a great perspective on things, really helpful in personal development, thought management. So check her out at jodymore.com. But I listened to her podcast pretty faithfully. And a few months ago, she had this podcast called Expectation Pain. And I talk about it a little more in this conversation. But when I heard this, I thought, oh, man, this is so needed. This concept, the understanding of this concept is so needed in the context of, of leadership because I get the emails and bless your heart, you, you're welcome to send me these emails when sometimes you're deeply disappointed in the leadership that you're experiencing, right? The, the leaders in maybe your ward or stake and it's just frustrating and you see that they could fix so many problems so easily if they would just do you know, A, B, or C, and it's so easy to disengage or give up or think, why am I even doing this? Why am I serving on the word council? Why am I trying to help this ward in some way when I just get shut down or, or leadership is so frustrating? So I wanted to, to, to talk to Jody about this concept of expectation pain when we have certain expectations for our leaders and they don't live up to them. What do we do in that scenario? How can we make a ward that just feels flat or the award that feels like it's on the wrong track. And well, what are we supposed to do with that? So we talk about it. You're going to love it. Here's my interview with Jody Moore.
Today, I have the opportunity to sit down through the powers of Zoom, which we do these days with Jody Moore. How are you, Jody? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Wonderful. I mean, I always appreciate the day when I get to talk with Jody and the famous person who doesn't feel so famous. You're much like me. My daughter asked me the other day, Dad, are you famous? And do your kids ever ask you that? Yeah, I tell them I'm pretend famous. Pretend, yes. Like that's at a good Deseret Bookstores, I'm famous, but otherwise, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true. So, for people who may not know of your well knownness, that's probably a better way to say it, but uh, who are you and, and uh, what is it you do? I'm just a stay at home mom who <laughs> happened to uh, learn about some tools six or seven years ago that changed my life. I'm a lifelong member of the church. But I ended up going through coach training and became ultimately a master certified life coach. And all I could see as I learned the tools of coaching was the parallels to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so those are the two things that have impacted my life the most significantly. So today I work with other like-minded individuals who want to improve their mental and emotional health and achieve goals and most people know me from my podcast, so. That's right. That's where most people know me. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's funny, as you know, talking about pretend famous, sometimes I'll meet somebody and they'll be like, is this weird for you? Like, I, I feel like I know you. And I think, no, it's not weird for me. I think it's just weird for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, you're just a man in my life. Although I can to. relate because I've met people who I've been listening to and I think this is weird, right? Yeah, it's so, true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So, and the, you've recently been mentioning on your podcast about you're sort of taking an angle or defining that your approach as far as faith-based coaching. Yeah. How, how do you articulate that? Yeah. Well, um, I always have considered myself to be a faith-based coach, but I just kind of labeled it that as I've started mentoring other coaches who want to grow their um, skills and their businesses in that I love helping people connect the dots, like I said, between just all the tools that I have of how to understand what you're thinking and feeling and creating and all the doctrines. Sometimes I get people who say to me, well, I'm just discouraged. Why didn't I learn this at church? Why haven't I, why isn't this in the scriptures? To which I say, oh, it is in the scriptures. And we did learn it at church. It was just with different words. And so I love helping people connect the dots between whatever they believe, whatever their faith is, and, and just the power of understanding human behavior in the human brain and emotions. So yeah. that's what faith-based coaching kind of means. Yeah. And and I love that term and, and what you do and, and how you teach people, because obviously, you know, you've been through certain certification programs to learn how to effectively coach, but I thought, you know, it would be so helpful for leaders to better understand maybe some basic principles of how to coach, right? Because, you know, we always, nobody ever claims that we're a therapist and neither do you ever claim that you're a therapist, but there's a lot of value in having a coach. And sometimes that coach you, you look towards is your bishop or your Relief Society president or a youth leader or whatever it is. And sometimes... <laughs> And I've been this bishop. They come in, they say, okay, you just sit back. I'll tell you what you need to do in life and this will fix it, right? But that's not helpful for a coach to do. Right? right. That's exactly right. I couldn't agree more. I think if I'm in a leadership position at church, I would want these tools just to, a, right. not not that they have to go through extensive coach training, but just right. understanding a little bit would go a long way. So, yeah. So anyways, I'm thinking of more ways to exploit your genius. Joey. Thank you. I love and it. You can, Let's you can do tell it. me no, but I, I would love to create maybe a, a simple training or something where you could speak to leaders saying, okay, if you're going to coach somebody, here's some things to consider, right? For Anyways, sure. We for can do that. Time. Let's work. Cool. Let's, let's partner on that, Kurt. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. 
Love it. All right. So the reason, you know, I'm an avid listener of your podcast and I, many times I listen to episodes and I think, oh man, this is a great one. I'm definitely sharing it on social media. Maybe I'll listen to it again. And then every once in a while you hit on a topic that I think not only is this phenomenal, but I've got to get Jody on my podcast to talk about this concept. And that episode, which was actually a while ago, uh, not like I'm mean, a few months ago, but expectation pain. Is that how you titled it? Yes. It's a good one. So it's a phenomenal one because this is, these are the emails I get, Jody, and this is the problem that you need to fix today. Okay. Tell me <laughs> or, or, or help me give some resources and substance to is I get this email and it's from somebody somewhere in the world. And they say, dear Kurt, you will not believe the train wreck that I have as a bishop or my relief society president is so ridiculous that I don't even see how I can even show up to church on, on Sunday, you know, when we would do that thing. And, and in fact, I feel justified in not going to church because this is awful. And some of these emails, they'll go to the point saying, I think abuse is happening in my ward from my lead. Like it's gotten to that point. Right. And a lot of the time my heart breaks because I've been that leader who probably people have thought you're kind of a train wreck. And the best thing about leadership for me like in hindsight is that it's helped me be a more empathetic member because I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I remember being that Bishop. You don't know what you're doing and neither did I, but Hey, we're here to help you. Right. That empathy is just more readily available, but other times people, you know, and circumstances are different that you turn into the member who just folds his arms in the back row and says, well, we're just going to get through these five years and hopefully the next guy does it right. Right. So how would you start to explain this expectation pain as far as like we have this expectation for a leader, like a bishop is supposed to be a really great guy who's always willing to help and is there when I need him. So, but then he's not. So yeah. maybe you're better articulating this stuff. All right. Well, before I explain that, let me just mention that I think it's so fascinating that you're getting that email because your work and your podcast and everything is meant to speak to leaders, which we all are leaders in some form or another, right? Sure. But yeah, and I just want to point out the fascinating thing that we all do as human beings, which is we hear somebody giving advice or counsel. And our first thought is, this would be so helpful for that guy. <laughs> and Jody, you probably get this too. I literally get people that, yeah. that confess that I have put my bishop's email on your newsletter, yeah. you know, and I'm like, well, you probably shouldn't do that, but hey, thanks. You yeah, know? I get that too, where they're like, do you have an episode I could send them that covers this thing? Or oh, yes. with, for me, it's with their kids, right? Or with their right. spouse or whatever. Do you have an episode on this thing? Because I love what you're teaching. I wish my husband understood it. I wish my child, I wish my, you know, my release study president, my bishop understood this. So I think, I just want to acknowledge that it's normal. I find myself doing it too. When I'm listening, I'm thinking, oh, I should teach this to my clients. I should teach this to other people. And so I think it, there's a lot of power that comes from pausing and just noticing that we're doing that and asking, wait, what if I just listen to this and think about how it applies to me first and foremost, yeah. and not how I wish that other guy were hearing it. That's where we get traction. We only have control over us. But in answer to your question, one of the concepts I teach is that as human beings, we have this idea of how people should be, whether it be, again, a spouse, a bishop, a, a child, any of these roles that people play in our lives, we have an idea of what it should look like. And that idea comes from maybe things that we learned growing up, stories we've heard, the media, again, books and podcasts that we consume, we create this picture of what is the right way 
to be in that role. And the problem with that is that everybody has their own version of what that is. Mm -hmm. And when people don't fulfill our expectation, then we feel some kind of negative emotion, disappointment, frustration, et cetera. Um, The problem isn't that the person is doing it wrong. The problem is our expectation of what it should look like. And expectations, I heard it said recently, expectations are just predetermined disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) Premeditated, I I think they said, premeditated disappointment. Because people in general are not good at meeting our expectations. And uh, it's one thing, you know, if you're in a leadership position to have expectations of people that are accountable to you. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the picture and sometimes we call it a manual, right? Like I have a Mm -hmm. manual for uh, my car. It tells me how the car should operate. And if something isn't working correctly, I take it in the shop and say, this car needs to be fixed. Um, But with people, we create these manuals in our mind, which is how we say, wait a second, my bishop is not working correctly. My, My Relief Society president is broken. And then we suffer at the effect of that. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And, and it, even that manual concept is magnified when we literally have a handbook yes. that is referred to as a manual, the manual that says, yeah, like Bishop, let me show you, I actually have a physical manual here and you're doing it wrong. Right. Yes. Or we, like you talk about, we sort of, whether we've been a Bishop before and, and, and I always feel bad for when I move into a ward and, you know, I connect with the Bishop and whatever. And I just always feel bad. Like, Oh no, like He's looking at me like the guy that talks about church leadership is moving into my ward. Like this is not going to go well, you know? Anyways, I'm always clear with them. I'm not here like with a clipboard, you know, critiquing everything you're doing. But nonetheless, we do that, especially if we've been the bishop before or we've been a Relief Society president and we think, no, I did it this way and it was really effective. If they only knew that my way was effective, they would that, you know, success would would be in abundance here and and this would go much better. Right. But and so we we unintentionally write our manual either because we have an idea of how we would do it or we have done it before and it worked out pretty well. And so we think we have the manual that will solve all problems. Yes. And I do want to say that there are things to your point, if I have somebody that's abusive or maybe they're violating a policy that's in the church handbook, I'm not saying that people don't do things quote unquote wrong, right? In a way that we would all, or many of us would want to define as wrong. What I'm saying is that we lose all of our own authority over ourselves when we blame their misbehavior for our emotions. So kind of the way I like to think about it is, okay, maybe that bishop is doing it wrong. Maybe they're not following the policies the way it's laid out in the manual. But if my thought is that he should be doing it right, that's where I'm creating a problem. So I can get to compassion for example, I might think, okay, he's doing it wrong, but he means well, or he's doing it wrong and he just doesn't know any better. He, you know, we place our leaders on these pedestals that I don't think they want to be on. Even. It's a whole nother topic, right? <laughs> yeah. So to think that, that he should be doing it right, he should be better. It's a, it, like you said, it's a development process for everybody involved. And so sometimes you can keep the thought that they're doing it wrong, but you can find peace and compassion around like, Of course he is. He's a human being. Sometimes he's going to mess it up. The question, again, we want to redirect to is, who do I want to be? How do I want to feel? And that's where you have, you know, all of your power 
And one of the things I've been really exploring lately is this idea that the atonement has two parts. There's the saving grace of the atonement, right? Where we we repent for sins and Christ atoned for us so we can be forgiven. But then there's the strengthening and enabling power of the atonement. And that's the part that I think we don't give enough attention to at times. That might be the part where I need to, maybe I haven't done anything wrong. Maybe my church leader is just not stepping up, but I can choose what I'm going to do. Am I going to be mad and resentful and blame? Or am I going to access that strengthening power of the atonement to be the person I want to be and get what I need for myself spiritually? Yeah. Yeah. And so it sounds like we really have two options when we face this dynamic. We can either go towards compassion and empathy. You know, I call it upward empathy when we sort of always wait for the bishop to give us empathy or, but in reality, we have a lot of empathy to give that way. Or we can go towards defining what, what this means, where we experience that premeditated disappointment. Uh, because we had an expectation, we're disappointed. And then we start defining that, well, the bishop's doing it wrong. So this isn't going to be a good ward. And this isn't a good ward. In fact, my youth, they're probably not going to have a good experience. And so, you know, we need to figure this out. Maybe we should move, you know, like it, it sort of balloons into these additional issues that were never there, but we've created them ourselves. And, you know, you talk about this self-inflicting pain concept, like that pain has only come, it did not come from your bishop. It did not come from his actions or the leader's actions for doing it wrong. You created that pain that is making your time in that war just miserable. That's right. And what's powerful to see is that you're the one experiencing the pain. The bishop may or may not experience pain about his behavior. So we punish ourselves with it and it doesn't change them, unfortunately. I'm always yeah. trying to point this out to my clients. So you being irritated and resentful with your bishop, is that getting him to behave more the way you want? It's, of course it's not, right? Yeah. And so our brains think it's useful and important though to hold on to. And I like to show myself, this isn't useful or important. It's only punishing me. I'm not going to suffer for someone else's bad behavior. <laughs> the, the other thing I just want to point out here as you give that example, Kurt, is we do this thing I call mirroring one another. So if I think that my bishop is doing it wrong, whatever it is, right? His calling, being the bishop, he's doing it wrong. Then I am inevitably, unless I choose consciously otherwise, I'm going to start doing it wrong. In other words, hmm. being the kind of ward member that I probably want to be, I'm probably doing it wrong. I'm not sustaining my bishop. I'm not supporting him. Maybe I'm gossiping about him. Maybe I'm Saying no to callings, right? Saying no to callings. You just, you're, you just disengage. I'm just going to yes. disengage from the ward and get through this. Yes. So that's what feels terrible to us, is us not living into the kind of being that we all at our core want to be, which is like God, we're created in his image. So when we are loving and compassionate and all the things that we believe God is, that's when we feel the best. So we're not feeling bad because the bishop's doing it wrong. We're feeling bad because we're doing it wrong. Hmm. And that's important to know that while mirroring is our default, meaning that's what we'll naturally do if we're not paying attention. Like if somebody comes along and they're really nice, they tell me how much they love me, I'm probably going to be really nice and love them right back. It's just our default. If somebody comes at me and they're accusing me or they're criticizing me, I'm going to want to get defensive and start criticizing them. It's just our mm -hmm. default, but we can break that cycle by thinking, okay, this person is showing up this way, but I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to behave that way. So I'm going to choose something different. It just requires a conscious choice rather than your unconscious default behavior. Yeah. 
Is there anything you'd add as far as like how we would recognize that that's happening inside of us? Like maybe in, you know, I know you coach in the context of couples and relationships a lot. And so, I mean, does the, does the spouse generally just know that they're dissatisfied with this? Like, like when can they know when they're defaulting to some of these, these negative thoughts and, and, and they're, they're just multiplying? Um, we see it all the time, like you said, in my coaching and, and we like to have fun with it. We, we like to kind of just be amused with ourselves when we notice it. So it comes in answer to your question from examining yourself. Our brains are really aware of what's happening outside of us, what other people are doing or anything going on outside of us. But when you stop and say, wait a second, what am I doing that might be similar to what they're doing? Whether it be your actions or your thoughts or your emotions, any of those things can be ways that we're mirroring. So if a client says to me, my husband is just so negative. And she'll start telling me about how he complains about this and he hates his job and he's critical of the kids and on and on and on. And I'll say, let's just notice for a minute how negative you are about your negative husband. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, so when you stop and ask yourself, okay, in what way am I doing the very thing that I'm judging this person for? And you have to be open-minded. It's not, again, natural for us to want to find that fault in ourselves. But when you can, that's when I think you access that power of, oh, that's all that's going on here is I'm becoming that very thing I'm judging them for. So it, it comes from looking at yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I know in my personal experience, you know, I, sometimes I've caught myself being thinking like, even this past Sunday, you know, we're doing Sunday school via Zoom. You know, what, why do I, why should I even open Zoom? I mean, this is going to be an awful lesson. Why, I mean, what's the point? You know, the, they, they can barely teach a lesson in person, let alone on Zoom. Like, why am I doing this? Right. And that, and that caused me, whoa, wait a minute. Where's that coming from? Right. And then it gives me time to pause and say, actually, they're doing their best and I'm going to have a lot of compassion and for what they're doing. And they have a lot. And then, you know, maybe I could speak up a little bit and that would really help them through through this lesson rather than saying, well, I'm just going to mute my mic, mute my camera and just be a floating name in the corner. And that's it. We'll get through it. Yes, exactly. And to piggyback off that example, sometimes then we want to be judgmental of ourselves now, right? Like I shouldn't have such a bad attitude. I shouldn't be this way. I should be more attentive and ready to go for my lesson. And so what I tell people is, listen, let's just be compassionate and curious about yourself first. If you can say, yes, I do some things really well. Sometimes I show up with a great attitude and sometimes I have a terrible attitude. And sometimes I drop the ball, kind of like you just did with that story about yourself. When you can examine that, you can kind of find the humor in it and still note that it's not you at your best, but, but we don't have to get all judgmental about it. When you can do that for you, then it becomes much easier to do that for other people. Yeah. It goes both ways. It's power. And and just being, and I think it comes with practice, right? The more you're trying to be self-aware, the more, you know, and just those feelings, like maybe you're going to a ward activity and you just don't want to go, or you're just going to think it's be ridiculous. Like, whoa, whoa, where did that come from? And maybe there's some, there's some judgments or there's some friction between you and how you perceive how the leader is doing. Maybe they aren't following your manual. And so to really unwind that and then, uh, and take a deep breath and approach it with a lot of compassion goes a long way. Yeah, so. for sure. Anything else you'd add as far as this concept of, you know, you use this example in the episode I referenced earlier that sometimes in our, uh, in our relationships with our spouse, we want to go to the family proclamation and say, Hey, look, this is says right here that this is the way, what a husband should do, or this is what a wife should do. So, and you are obviously not doing it. anything else as far as how we sometimes look for evidence in bad leadership. 
Yeah, I personally think this is a tool that the adversary is really good at right now is maybe has always been, but I've noticed it lately, which is that he helps us take the gospel, the counsel and advice we're given from prophets and leaders, even the scriptures and says, see, that's a good reason. Like that would make a nice page in your manual, right? About how your husband should be is it says right here, husband, the husband should provide for the family or I can't remember the exact verbiage, but something along those lines. Right. And uh, I coach a lot of women who say, my husband isn't providing for us. He hasn't, he can't keep a job or he, for whatever reason is not providing for us. So clearly I have a good reason to resent him. I have a good reason to be judgmental or frustrated or irritated with him. It says right here in the proclamation that that's what a husband should do. And I think Satan's like, hey, let's use that to drive a wedge in your marriage and in your family. And I am really certain that our leaders did not sit down, our prophet did not sit down and say, let's write a document that will give wives a reason to resent their husbands and husbands (laughs) a reason to judge their wives. Like there was never the intention of it. So that is Satan's tool. And we just, again, have to be on to ourselves. It's kind of like we were talking about in the beginning of the letters that you're getting, the emails that you're getting. I need to read the proclamation in terms of how does this help me be more of who I want to be. But how my husband shows up, honestly, whether he's fulfilling his duty as a priesthood holder and what have you is sort of none of my business, ultimately. Mm. I mean, it is obviously we're raising a family together, but his spiritual development, what the areas where he's excelling and the areas where maybe he's not is really not mine to manage in the end. And so I've often had this thought of, you know, think back when I, uh, it was in bishoprics and we would be planning the sacrament meeting speakers. And sometimes we'd come in a name and you just knew if we let that person stand up, they're just not well articulated. They, they just, they probably won't do a good job. Maybe we'll give them a place elsewhere. But I'd often remind myself, what if we help this individual so that speaking in sacrament meeting gave them such confidence, even if it was just, I mean, forget the meeting content. We just dismiss that. Like, it's just not going to go well, but that person walks away feeling like I spoke in sacrament meeting, right? Like I did it. I did something I thought I couldn't do. And so it oftentimes encouraged me to maybe to consider some of those unknown names or in, in calling. Sometimes we think, well, we can't call that person as the elders quorum president because he's a bit off his rocker. Well, yeah, but what if we did? And what if we just offered some extra support to help them, right? And, and I use the examples going back to, let's say you do just have that dumpster fire bishop that is just, it seems like anything he touches, he breaks. But what if, Nothing happened in the ward for five years other than that one individual became sanctified through his calling. Like if, if God came down and said, listen, the youth program is going to be, you know, off track. Everything's going to be going not well. Are you willing to say, you know what, but that the bishop's soul is worth it. So I'm going to hang with him. I'm going to encourage him. We're going to get through this. And yeah, maybe my son doesn't have this remarkable youth experience, but the bishop becomes a more sanctified person. Now I get that, you know, some people would be like, no, like they just need to pick a new bishop, you know, that, but a lot of times maybe he needs a year, maybe six months. We just are helping him develop as an individual and that's okay. I love that. It, it reminds me what David O. McKay said a long time ago, which is that the purpose of the gospel is to make bad men good and good men better and yeah. to change human nature. And to your point, I can't think of a 
an experience that would probably be more challenging and refining than serving as a bishop in that it, it may be for him. I also, one of the things that really helps me, I heard um, Susan Easton Black speak at a, a women's conference in my stake in California years ago. And this changed everything for me. She said, when I go to church, I go to take the sacrament, that part's for me. But everything else, I go there thinking, what am I bringing? What can I give to other people? Hmm. And that really helped me, you know, when I'm in those wards where I feel like I'm not getting much out of this or the speaker today or the lesson's not good or what have you, or my, you know, the leadership isn't doing it right. Well, maybe I'm here to contribute something rather than just take what I can give. And we're all at different points where sometimes we do need things that we get from church, but Overall, it always shifts things for me if I think I'm just here to give and to serve other than the sacrament, that part's for me. Yeah. You know, and I I sometimes see this dynamic, not only like on a person to person level, but also when we're critiquing organizations, even the church, right? We may on the surface get excited about General Conference. I love the Book of Mormon. Like I love the gospel. And then when we get, you know, with some friends, we think, okay, the church has really got to let up on this word of wisdom thing. Like we are losing souls over it. Like they're doing it wrong. Like this is a different time, right? Or th- this policy just doesn't, I mean, that's 1950s stuff. We got to change that, right? And believe me, I've been guilty of similar thoughts and, and conversations myself, but we have to stand back and say, they're writing the manual on it, right? And they're doing so with the, the best, you know, forms of inspiration and revelation they have. And so sometimes we have to say, man, this isn't the way I would run the church, but maybe there's something in here for me to learn and maybe I can engage on a deeper level and not worry about, man, if only that policy wasn't there, I could actually get some things done or we could make a difference. But how can we work within these different personalities and even the personalities of organizations in our life that sometimes make us feel like they're holding us back? Yeah, and I think we sometimes take this principle of obedience a little Hmm. too far. We use it as a a reason to think, maybe I don't believe in this, or maybe this isn't right. Or maybe again, this leader is doing it wrong. I don't think that obedience is supposed to come at the expense of your own integrity and your own relationship with Heavenly Father and with Jesus Christ. I think that I've talked to many people who have said this, like, how can you just trust that these older men who are out of touch with society today can know everything that, you know, we should all be doing. And I I don't think they are trying to tell us everything we should be doing. I think our, the counsel that we're given is very broad and it's very principle based. And then we each have to decide what that means for us in our own lives. And I do just want to add, I coached a young woman recently who is a black girl who was feeling really emotional about the way our church responded in the wake of George Floyd and everything else happening in our country right now. And she felt disappointed. She felt that she just wished that different things had been said and addressed by our church leaders. But she was coming to me with a really, a lot of humility and a broken heart. And she wanted to believe in the gospel and she wanted to want to go to church but she felt really conflicted and emotional. And so one of the things I recommended is that we first of all, be clear about the difference between the gospel and people and church culture. And that we have to always keep that in mind that the gospel is perfect. The doctrine is perfect, but people never will be. But second of all, that, you know, in the scriptures, we're taught that if you just want to believe that's enough, 
And that if you want to sustain your leaders, that that's enough and the Lord can work with us. And so I think it's okay to have emotion and conflict and confusion. The Lord will work with you wherever you are, I believe. Yeah. And it really goes back, you know, when you start again, defining yourself by those thoughts or, or those feelings like, oh, a, a good Latter-day Saint wouldn't think like this. And there's something wrong with me. I mean, that's just, you begin to spiral, you know? Yeah. It, another principle I appreciate in, in uh, that episode I referenced is this giving people permission to be themselves. Yeah. Uh, expound Isn't on that, that nice maybe how us? it fits in with leader. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Yeah, I think sometimes we just get so set in the way that we think other people should be. And we are pretty influential and sometimes manipulative. So sometimes we can get people to behave the way we want. The problem is now they're pretending, right? So I see this in spouse relationships where I might tell my husband, hey, listen, this is my love language is... uh, (laughs) is gifts. So I need a gift or a nice note every now and then. And maybe my husband wants to make me happy. He might start giving me a gift or writing me a note. But if he's doing it just because I told him to, then (laughs) I'm connecting with this version of him that I manipulated and created. I'm not connecting with him really, if he's not a person who normally would do that. And so it's really powerful to recognize that as human beings, we all crave connection We crave um, understanding one another and feeling understood and feeling heard. And yet we walk around trying to change everybody into us. You know, we say (laughs) things like, I would never do that. If I was the Relief Society president, I would never say that or I would never do that. But she's not you. And so... The beauty of our experience on earth is that we are all different. And so I like to just try to, like we talked about the manual in the beginning, right? All of these expectations. What if your only expectation was that they be themselves? My only expectation, my bishop is Bishop Woodward. And if my expectation is just be Bishop Woodward, because he's really good at it. He's really good at being him. (laughs) He's had years of practice. He's had so much (laughs) practice. I don't have to tell him how to do it. He's going to do it perfectly. And then I get to appreciate him And again, of course, he's going to do that anyway. It's something we do in our own heads for ourselves to allow us to appreciate and and really embrace people as they are. Yeah. And to me, that's where the relationship truly forms and takes root, where if with my wife, if I'm constantly looking at everything transactional, like, okay, she likes gifts, so I'm going to do this gift and maybe I'll get something, you know, back later, or maybe she'll show me my love language, you know, it's all transactional. But when we you know, not to say you shouldn't figure out how your wife or spouse feels appreciated and love, but doing it from a point of like, I just want to know you more. Like I want you. And if that's part of you, I want it, you know, and, and I'm willing to understand it and embrace it rather than, well, let's, uh, if I give you this, what are you going to give me type of thing? And we do that a lot with, with leadership, you know, well, the and leaders in our life. An, an important point I want to add here is that doesn't mean you, that we shouldn't make requests of people. I'm Hmm. all for like, hey, Jake, would you mind hanging those shelves in the kids room? And do you think you could get home earlier? And would you give me a back rub? (laughs) Like, I'm all for you making requests or making requests of your bishop or your, your leaders. The difference is that when we hang our emotions on whether or not they do it, and we choose to be grumpy and unhappy if they aren't willing to do it or don't do it, now we're getting into trouble. So I make requests all day long. I just know I'm responsible for how I feel. And if I choose to feel disappointed, I might, but that's on me. 
and and I don't give my emotional control over to other people because then I turn into a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. You know, in another area where I see, you know, this concept of giving permission to people to be themselves or I see it happen in the, in the church leadership dynamic is I remember serving in the state presidency, you know, we'd consider different people for calling, you know, so we call bishops every once in a while. And there's sort of this natural tendency that we're trying to look for the guy in the ward who's going to act how we would have acted if we're in that role. So it's easy to call someone we know and we've seen them make decisions similar to ours, so we call them that. And I think there's power and deeper inspiration and revelation when we step back as leaders and say, okay, I'm going to give everybody permission this word to, if we call them to this this role as bishop or leaf society or whatever, that they have 100% permission to lead as they want to lead or as they would be a leader, right? Rather than calling them and saying, okay, let me clear a few things up. You know, you're a little bit abrasive or, and again, feedback's good and helpful, but sometimes we do it because we're trying to form them into us as if we were going to be that leader, but just, and that's the beauty of this lay leadership is you get some personalities in there that try different things or don't try things. And, and we learn from it. Right. And at the end of the day is a well-oiled, perfect, you know, machine that we sometimes feel like the restored gospel should be like creating great leaders and they should be acting perfectly and they should have great training and all these things. But at the end of the day, it's a sanctifying mechanism and people come out of these callings just as different people. And that's a good thing. They're learning more about who they are and they're gaining more permission to be themselves. That's a really good point. And we don't need more people that are like us in leadership. We need people that are not like us because we need people to have the strengths we don't have. I already have me that can think of the (laughs) ideas that I have. I need someone that thinks totally different than me. If I really understand the bigger picture. Yeah. And I think in, especially like in a meeting dynamic, this is really important to point out and give like verbally give permission to people to be themselves where, you know, you may be in a high council meeting and there's always that one high councilman that's just like, all right, you talk too much. What you say is sort of off base. And I don't really like your ideas. You're always the contrarian, but to say, Hey, brother Smith, I want you to know as the stake president, you're on this council because you are to push back on me. I like that. And I want you to be 100% you when you're in, in here. And if anybody in this room is trying to hide behind a pose in an attempt to be liked by me or go along with my ideas, you are not living up to that that role. I need you to be you, right? And that's what makes this go around. And that's where the best ideas come from too, is that that dynamic. So yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's so true. What about, and I think you've touched on this a little bit, but only expecting, how, how would you say that only giving yourself expectations or, or how, how yeah. do you say that? Well, and I think this would be really relevant to, to consider for, for leaders that, um, we have to define success for ourselves, first of all. And we can like, to your point, only have an expectation of ourselves. I try to keep my expectations about what do I expect of me? Not what do I expect of other people? Because again, I'm the only one I have control over. So let me speak to the first point, which is as a leader, you're going to have people that are not going to like your approach or that are going to criticize or what have you. And that doesn't mean you're not doing a good job necessarily. So I think it's important, like as a coach, my goal is not to make people feel better, to help them be happier to even help them improve their lives or change their thoughts in a healthy way, because none of that's within my control. My goal, the way I measure my success is, am I prepared? 
Am I keeping myself not judgmental? Am I continuing to learn and refine and get better at what I do? Am I loving my client? Am I telling my client the truth even when the truth is hard, going to be hard for them to hear? So there are times when my clients leave my coaching session mad at me. They'll tell me, I was really mad when you said that. And sometimes they'll say, now I get it. Thanks for telling me that. But <laughs> yeah. my goal can't be that they like me or that they're happy. My goal is that I'm showing them and telling them the truth, okay? So I define success for myself around the things that I have control over and that's what makes me a good coach. They don't need someone to just validate their pain. They have sisters and friends for that. They need me to tell them the truth. So I think in a leadership position at church, you have to define success for yourself. What is success? What is me being the best bishop I could be? It might sometimes be telling somebody something they don't really want to hear. And that's always true mm -hmm. in leadership, right? Not just yeah. as a bishop, but so really get clear about what is success. I, I think, again, as a faith-based coach, like you said, I also teach other coaches. I say the most important part for me of being a faith-based coach is that I have a responsibility to keep my faith in check to, you know, say a prayer before I do a podcast to try to stay open to the spirit in my life. And so I think as leaders, of course, that's going to be a big part of our success, but we have to define it in that way. And then we can have those expectations of ourselves and we can, doesn't mean we'll be perfect at it, but we can assess, am I meeting my expectation or am I falling short and take the focus off of what other people are doing? Yeah, that's an interesting. It almost turns the tables a little bit because we've talked about how we sometimes have expectations for the leaders in our life. But when you are the leader, you sometimes lose sleep over what's the ward expect of me? And I better act in a way that I'm sort of pleasing everybody. And, and then again, we've now removed that permission from ourselves to be ourselves and That's to lead right. in the way that we want to lead. Right. And, and I always tell leaders, like, there's going to be about, you know, when you're called as bishop, 15% of the ward just won't really like you. And 5% probably will hate you. And and really, there's no way around that. Yeah. But what happens is we can be so like, we don't want people to not like us and we want them to everybody have a good experience. So we hyper focus on that 15% and not worry about the 85% and, uh, you know, do things that will bring them over to that percentage that likes you. And that's not helping you like, because a lot of time that that 15%, you can't really control how they think or what they do and whether they like you or not. And, and once you do that, maybe you do them over, but then you just create a new 15% that doesn't like you because you've exactly changed right. the way you've done, right? So this is a good thing for a leader to ponder over is, am I acting differently because of perceived expectations I'm getting from the ward? And maybe they're 100% accurate, but why is that a reason to change how you are leading when in reality you have certain skills and attributes that can take the ward in a certain direction that uh, is going to bless a lot more lives? That's right. And I think that's when we step into our best version of us. Like mm. the best version of me is when I allow myself to be the jodiest Jody that I can be. But uh -huh. that's hard to do because I have my own fear of people's judgment and am I doing it wrong? And I kind of want to do it the way I saw this person do it. I really liked their approach. So that's a challenge, but I think that's what the Lord wants of us. And that's where we, we become our best and not everyone's going to like me when I'm the Jodius Jody, they kind of, some people prefer a more watered down version of me. Yeah. So I think that's so powerful to think about as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. And I just was just talking to a, a bishop uh, 
a couple of weeks ago, and he told me the story about how when he was called as bishop, he continued to turn his, or his stake president down and said, I'm not doing this. I am not fit to be a bishop. This is not me. And the stake president kept encouraging him. No, no, no. We want you to lead any way you want, right? And we want you to be you. And he's like, okay, well, let me make a list of things I'm not doing. You know, I'm not doing the meeting thing that for hours and hours. And he went down this list and they're all like, you know, none of them were, were against, you know, quote unquote, the handbook. Yeah. And the stake president said, yeah, okay, do those things. We want you to lead in the way you want to lead. And so if a, if a leader finds themselves sort of in this friction where they're like, yeah, but my stake president, like Kurt and Jody, if you only knew my stake president, he's not going to let me be me. Like have that conversation and say, listen, president, I feel like I can't be me. And when you're in the room and let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, I, those are conversations worth having because if you don't, these callings are miserable. They are miserable, yeah. And but they can be remarkable if you figure out a way to discover who you are and then act accordingly. And even for your ward members, right? Saying my Relief Society president's doing it wrong. It's kind of the concept in management we used to call managing up. Mm. There's nothing wrong with making a request of the person above you or communicating right. with them and saying, you know what I think would be great is if we tried this or what would be helpful for me is this thing. And it, maybe your request isn't, honored, but I think most leaders want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a specific conversation when I was bishop, I had with the stake president. I said, president, I love you and I'm willing to follow you anywhere, but I just want you to know your three hour stake bishopric meetings are killing me. Like we have got to shrink these down. I do not enjoy them. Okay. Like, and if you can't have that conversation, like it just means you need to work on that, that relationship more and more because you should be able to have those conversations in my opinion. Awesome. All right. Great point with expectation when we understand it from the perspective of, of the leadership. So, you know, let me go here and that'll be a good final thought. But people are maybe listening to this and thinking, good points, Jody. Great points, Kurt. But you don't understand my stake president, my bishop is a tyrant and he is abusive and he is doing harm. And you probably hear this in the context of your coaching. Like, no, no, Jody, what when I said that to my husband, he gave me a backhand and now I'm in the hospital, you know, like, okay, like you're not going to, you know, coach your way. You need to get yourself to a safe place. So what do you say when people think, no, no, but abuse is happening. I can't just, I, I, I need to expect that my husband or spouse or leader isn't going to be abusive, right? Yeah, it's a good question. So I like to think of it in regards to the economic principle that is called the law of diminishing returns. So the idea is that there are things that are useful and necessary for us, but up to a certain point, and then we start to lose the effectiveness of them. And then they actually, in this case, can become something that creates problems for us. So I like to teach, listen, of course, you should have expectations about how people treat you. And what I mean by that is, if they don't, you protect yourself. Maybe you have boundaries. Maybe you need to remove yourself temporarily or permanently from a relationship or a situation. This is not about allowing people to mistreat you. So we should have, I have a basic expectation that my husband doesn't hit me. If he did hit me, I would need to make decisions about if I want to stay in this marriage or, or what have you, right? Or that a bishop not verbally abused or, or any of that, right? So expectations and then you maintaining your own boundaries is useful to a certain point. And then we cross a line where now it just becomes a way to disconnect and judge and feel terrible. I like to use the analogy of safety. It is appropriate to understand that cars can be dangerous, 
it's useful, right? It improves the quality of my life to understand that if I don't buckle my seatbelt, I'm putting myself in harm or that I don't want to get in the car with someone who's been drinking alcohol or something. Those are useful things. But if I sit around and think all day about how scary cars are and I never allow myself to get in a car to go anywhere, now I'm not improving the quality of my life. I'm actually diminishing the quality of my life because I'm so scared of it that I just can't go very far. So the same is true with expectations of people. We need to have some basic ones. We need to be respecting and loving ourselves. And that might mean setting boundaries. But then we cross this line at which it, it now diminishes the quality of our life and our relationships. Yeah, that is so powerful. And that's the thing. If maybe you, you literally do have a tyrant as a leader and you need to take some steps to create some safety or notify you know, the state president, their area authority, or whomever it is that's saying this experience happened and abuse happened. And we don't want to dismiss any of that to, well, you shouldn't expect so much from your bishop. That's that right. That's right. right. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So as, as we wrap up, I'm just thinking of, it seems like for all my many decades in the church, like I've heard this conversation come up many times in an elders quorum or Sunday school class where people may say, I wish this ward was more unified. I wish, I wish we were, I wish unity was the focus of this. And so generally default, like, well, okay, well maybe we should have a pizza party and we'll have a pizza party and people will come together and they'll talk. And naturally this unity will just sprout up. And so we default to these like potlucks Mm -hmm. thinking if we get, yeah, if people talk more about, you know, sports and politics, that should do it. Um, (laughs) But in reality, like unity is much more, difficult you know stimulating positive culture is much more difficult but it can start with you and and everybody is at the helm right and i and sometimes people think well if 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 i was in that calling i would do it differently we'll do it differently now right like do it differently outside the calling and this is these principles you share are so effective in helping people think you know i could do differently and it starts with how i'm thinking about the ward how i'm approaching it the empathy and compassion i'm i'm showing so any final thoughts or what, what encouragement would you give to those to maybe that member who's just really struggling by expecting so much from their leader? Yeah, I guess what you're saying is reminding me of a story I heard recently where there's a farmer working in his field and he sees a, a shiny black car pull up. So he walks over to the fence and a gentleman gets out in a suit and he says, I'm new to town here. Can you tell me what kind of people are in this town? And the farmer says, well, what kind of people did you find in your last town? And he says, well, they were the worst kind of people. They were mean and judgmental and they never talked to each other. And the farmer says, yep, those are the kind of people you'll find here too. And then he goes back to work. And a few minutes later, a guy pulls up in an old pickup truck, gets out. Farmer comes to the fence. The man in his jeans and t-shirt, he says, I'm new to town here. I was wondering if you could tell me what kind of people are in this town. And the farmer says, what kind of people were in your last town? And he says, the best people. They were kind and loving and friendly. And the farmer says, yep, those are the kind of people you'll find here too. <laughs> so um, I think it's kind of a cheesy story, but I was like, that is so true that if I think this word is not unified and people aren't connected and the bishop's not doing it right, I can find evidence of that for sure. And if I choose to think, here's the truth, the fact that we all believe in the doctrine of the church, at least to a certain level, or we have a desire to believe, unifies us right away. We are all unified. And whether we 
are social or not, or we share hobbies and interests. None of that matters. If you think this is a unified ward and I love these people, you will find reasons for that. And the brain is just so powerful. We will find whatever we're looking for. That concludes my interview with Jody Moore. Please check out her podcast. You can uh, look up Better Than Happy. That's the name of her podcast on uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Go to her website, jodymoore.com and uh, dive into the archives. Really good stuff. Uh, we'll link to that episode called Expectation Pain. I mean, we basically review some of the same uh, principles, but my heart goes out to you. You individuals, whether you're a leader or not, sometimes we deal with difficult leaders. Sometimes we deal with leaders who don't see the world the same way we do, or they just have a different approach to life, right? And that's okay. There's still room to thrive. We don't just have to wait around until they get released. There's still room to thrive. And we invite you to do so. That's what this organization, this community of leaders is about. Be a leader, not a calling. Be a leader, not just a ward member. Be an engaged leader and lead, even though you don't have a title. There's so much room for you to influence and make the ward that your community, whatever it is, your stake, what it needs to be, at least for some of them, right? So again, check out Jody Moore. And uh, I would love to hear from you if you go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send me a message. What perspective are we missing? What scenario have you seen? Have you seen this handled before? It'd be awesome to hear. And that concludes this throwback episode of the Leading Saints podcast. And remember to get on the email newsletter list, simply go to leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.